0: The beginning of change is awareness. Soon as you become more aware of how you do move, how stacked your body is, how effortlessly it moves, breathing improves, digestion improves. With better movement on the outside, you're getting better movement on the inside. So this is health. This is how we stay alive for longer and feel better and live more, right?
1: Hey guys, how are you doing? Hope you're having a good week so far. My name is Dr. Rangan Chatterjee and this is my podcast, Feel Better, Live More. Today's episode is a re-release of a conversation I had just over two years ago, a few weeks after completing the London Marathon for the very first time. And I've decided to re-release it because I'm seeing so much online at the moment about people being injured, struggling with their running, their walking, or their sports. And I really believe that this conversation and my wonderful guests can help. My guest is my dear friend, Helen Hall. Helen is a movement therapist. She's a running coach, a pain expert. In fact, to be frank, all of these labels feel a little bit limiting. In many ways, I would call her a detective for the human body. She is quite simply one of the best coaches in any modality that I have ever come across. I myself have had the great privilege of working with her for almost four years now, and I would say that my body is moving more efficiently and better than ever before. Now, Helen has had a lifelong passion for analysing posture and movement, and her clients include elite athletes, whether they be runners, cyclists, or Premier League footballers, but also regular everyday folk who simply want to walk or run or move pain-free. Helen combines objective clarity from the most advanced motion analysis technology in the world with 46 years of visual experience and study in the field to seek out the root causes of chronic pain and injury that often seem resistant to standard treatment protocols. Now, in order to help more people than those able to visit her in person, she first shared her movement philosophy in her wonderful book, Even With Your Shoes On. And since then, she has gone on to create a series of online videos and courses to help more people move their bodies without pain. More recently, Helen has just launched an online course called PFM Pilot which is getting fantastic reviews. It is aimed at both busy professionals working in the field of movement, pain, and injury, who can now have access to Helen's incredible wisdom, but also for amateurs who are keen to learn more and help themselves. On a personal level, working with Helen hasn't just changed my running, it's helped me to walk faster without even trying. It's also helped me to breathe better and become much more aware and in tune with my posture. Helen is an incredible lady who has had a profound influence on my own life. It's always a joy to spend time with her. I hope you enjoy listening. I thought the best place to start would be to talk about running. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to run. A lot of people struggle with their running. So I thought right at the top of this conversation, in your view, are humans born to run?
0: I I look at um, what happened when I was a young mum and my children were taking their first steps to great applause, uh, to got to get the camera out, got to record it, and then realising that they were running away from the tickle monster to no applause, it just happened no festivities, nothing. They were just now already running. And really, it makes me stop and think about when did it stop? Because they ran. Kids run. We just run. We crawl. Maybe we, if we don't crawl, we get up. We haul ourselves along the furniture and we walk. We put one foot in front of the other. And then the pace changes. Uh, sometimes to prevent toppling over and sometimes because we want to reach something quickly. And then we start to chase and it's just playful. We run. That's what we do. It's another gear. It's just another gear. So if you can walk, you probably... There's going to be somebody in the world somewhere who can't run, even though they can walk. But generally speaking, if you can walk, you can run. And it's just what we do. If we need to get across the road quickly, we'll break into a trot. If we need to run for the train, we will run for the train. It's what we do. It's just a gear. So, yes, I feel passionately that we are born to run, meant to run, meant to be able to run, all things being equal.
1: I mean, it's interesting to think about that. I think that's a great way of looking at running. All kids run. Yeah. Right? They they run. They want to run. They're not running, generally speaking, because, you know, an adult is telling them to run. They're running for joy, for pleasure. So, yeah. So what happens then, right? Because in preparation for this conversation, I was looking on Google this morning about what percentage of runners are reported to get injured. And there's all kinds of stats kicking around there. One stat was 80%. 80% of people or 80% of runners at some point have been injured or are injured. So what happens then? As kids, as toddlers, we run for pleasure. And then when we're adults, some of us can't run because of pain.
0: And I think the... And and even with... Uh, all of the bells and whistles that you that are available to buy in the sporting industry, the the injury um, numbers are not going down. If anything, they're going up uh, because the last time I think in Born to Run, Christopher, Christopher McDougall's book, I think it was something like seventy percent. So if it's now eighty percent, it's going up. And you think, why? Why is that happening? And I think the stopping. Is uh, a big part of the problem. So the children at some point, and I think it's quite early, they stop because now running around the playground either isn't cool or running has now become a a discipline rather than just another pace of excitement of, well, I want to get from there to there and I want to do it a bit quicker. So I'm going to go to run. It becomes a discipline, a sporting discipline. And then as soon as it becomes regimented, I think the joy gets sucked. And children then, because the team sports, um, I think, also play a part. So children develop at different rates and some are more coordinated than others. And if you are slower in developing your coordination and you're not chosen for the school team, your interest is understandably going to... Get lower. Yeah. And and then these people, are, there's no incentive to get up and move and continue their enjoyment of movement because they can't join in with, you know, the core cool guys who are yeah. being chosen in the A team or the B team.
1: And I guess then they sort of tell themselves, oh, I'm not very good at this, you know, this is not for me. And then, you know, they go down a different path. Yeah. It's, these, it's these crucial forks in the road where we can take multiple paths not just two and which path do we end up going down often depends upon those kind of experiences and I think yeah I think there's a lot to be questioned in the school system if I'm honest about a whole variety of things which we've spoken about not just uh, running but but one thing I've sort of really learnt with you Helen and I think I knew it already I think I just had a I I just think I've deepened my understanding of it is that if there's an adult listening or watching to this right now and they're either a runner or they're not a runner or they haven't run for a while because everyone ran at one point pretty much. I think there's this misconception that when I run, I get injured. Let's say after 20 minutes, I get knee pain. So therefore running is not for me or running is bad for my knees. That's the conclusion. But if we go upstream a little bit and go, well, hold on a minute, we can't say that running's not for you or that running is bad for your knees just because of that. The way I look at it, and a lot of this has been informed by you, is that, well, maybe your body is in such a state at this current moment in time where, yes, you can't run without having pain but it's not running that's the problem necessarily it could be their structure their biomechanics or their form so actually I now have the belief because I came to you in pain Mm. I came to you with a whole host of little injuries that were getting in the way of my ability to run but I now believe that all of us can run pain-free if we learn how to do it.
0: Yeah. And it's a funny thing is not it? it's the most innate movement, putting one foot in front of the other. It's what everything in our movement development takes us towards from this born blob that doesn't really do much to, yeah. you know, toppling around on two little feet to then being coordinated on two feet. And it takes however long it takes to get that movement coordination organized. And then uh, it is the the pain element. People bump into themselves because for whatever reason, and there are so many of them, they're not walking efficiently. They didn't even know how to put one foot in front of the other efficiently because they don't know how they're walking. And they bring the way that they're walking into their running mm. with all the restrictions that are there already, but they, they pass under the radar of being unnoticed because there's no pain when they walk. As soon as you add running into the mix, you've got intensity because now the body has to mass manage both feet off the ground, Mm. landing on one little tiny bit of foot and then pushing off the same foot onto the next one. So things that are running under the radar, but are there, then pop out with the running. So they were fine. They started their couch to 5K and now they're stuck maybe they reach 5k but they can't go any further maybe they didn't even reach 5k it's not the running it's what they brought to their running that was the problem but it was under the radar nobody knew because it didn't hurt to walk
1: yeah it's like that stress threshold we've all got our threshold and if we live underneath it and we manage our stress we take active steps on a daily basis to do so often we never get to that threshold so we never get to the point where we're you know, blowing up or getting irritated or our back goes into spasm, right? Because we're, we're not getting to that point. And I guess it's the same thing with running. Running, I feel from what you're saying and from what I've experienced with you, running has been my greatest teacher yeah. over the past 18 or 20 months because it has, it has enabled certain imbalances to reveal themselves to me through you with your expertise, but it's 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 allowed them to show up where it's like, ah, cool, I've now got an opportunity to look at the root cause of this. So instead of blaming the running, it's about looking what is the real root cause of that. And I but I wish everyone could have been through the journey I've been on. We'll we'll get through what we'll, we'll definitely get to that during this conversation. Um, but I, I want to make sure this is not just relevant to runners, Helen, because I think at the core Well, there's two cores I see in your work. One is efficiency Mm -hmm. and one is noticing. Mm -hmm. And I want to spend a bit of time on them because if someone's listening or watching this and they don't think of themselves as a runner, most people are probably walking if they're able to. And I think those two principles that I feel underpin a lot of the work that you do are relevant to anyone who moves. Which frankly is anyone who lives. Yeah. So let's start with noticing. Why is noticing so important to you?
0: If, uh, so there's a beautiful quote uh, by Philip Ball in Critical Mass, um, and he says, uh, for without change, there's nothing to talk about. And when I read that, it was with reference to the the second law of thermodynamics but literally i had to close the book put it down and take a moment because that's what it's all about if we don't notice stuff how can we change it so the beginning of change is noticing it's awareness and so we get this uh, underlying something is going on with walking but there's no pain then People want to, and I applaud everybody who just is giving it a go. They get off the couch and they start their running journey, but there's this underlying unknowing so far within their walking. Then to that unknowing is added every preconception, misconception known to Google or known to conversations about running, known to running magazines where There are these ideas that are being promoted that definitely must have helped somebody. And more than one somebody, people. But people absorb uh, what they hear, see, read, whatever Dr. Google says, and apply that to their underlying unknowingness with their walking into their running. And without noticing that their body couldn't even do that walking, then they're just, it, it's just a matter of time. How many repetitions, voluminous repetitions are going to have to occur before that tipping point occurs and they're going to have pain. So the beginning of everything is noticing what is going on in your body and what isn't going on. I'm forever sleuthing for what Gary Ward suggests is the the dark spaces and we're shining a light on the dark spaces. If you don't know what is moving and what isn't moving, how can you make any progress in creating more of you to join the job? Otherwise, you're leaving too little of your body to do the job all by itself. We should be job sharing. Everything should be moving. If we're moving, everything moves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just... Uh... For those people who don't know Gary, Gary has been a huge influence on both of our lives. Gary's been on the podcast many years ago. Gary was the person who I attributed to initially being the first person who really helped me get rid of my 10 years of chronic lower uh, back pain, which really caused me all kinds of problems. I had to give up sport. I had loads of time off work. You know, I couldn't get in the car, couldn't lift my kids. And without oversimplifying Gary's work he helped me realize that actually my right foot um, wasn't working as well as it might have done. And literally with five minutes of right foot exercises per day, maybe less, my back pain went to the point where I could return to all the things at that time, which I wanted to do. And that led me on a journey to you know, getting to minimalist footwear because I love the feeling of feeling my feet and understanding what it was doing. And I, I know you also uh, like Gary's philosophy, Anatomy in Motion, but but you also, I think, bring a lot of your other philosophies that you've learned over the years to the way you uh, teach people. And I think one of the reasons I've resonated so much with your approach is a, it works.
0: The human bodies work. So you just work with the human body uh, in all of its glory and you can create change. Sorry to interrupt.
1: No. Well, I think that's one of the things you you also say a lot is that human bodies are logical. Like, and you. It, what's so empowering when when I've worked with you, Helen, is that I always have confidence that it doesn't matter what the issue is, you're just going to have to show me why that's happening. and a lot of people are walk around and go, why is my knee always hurting when I run? Why, why is my hammy going at 5k each week? And you have some great technology available to you, but let's talk about that. But I think this idea that running is a whole body movement, walking is a whole body movement. I've learned with you that actually sometimes changing position of my wrist impacts how fast I move or the, yeah. or, or the, or the, or the, pressure going through my leg and you show me on the machine. And I think, well, that's incredible. I had no idea. So I think a lot of people think it's just their their two legs moving back and forth, right? But it's it's not that. It's a whole body movement.
0: Yeah. So the upper body and the lower body cooperate. So uh, the easiest way to describe it is exactly how I assess. So somebody is standing still. What's going on? Then they walk. What is the same? Nothing should be the same. So anything that is the same stands out. And you can do this in front of the mirror. You could just stand in front of the mirror and just make a note. Is one shoulder higher than the other? And then you can march on the stop on the spot. Does that shoulder stay higher? And then you can trot on the spot. Does it still stay high? Okay, that shoulder needs to be high. Why? Why does it need to be high? We need to find that out because that's going to affect. If you stay, um, to keep it really simple, if you stay with one shoulder higher than the other. The low shoulder makes it easy for you to land on that leg because we lean into the leg we're landing on. It gives all sorts of delicious shock absorption opportunity just through the the laws of joint mechanics. But if we're still leaning on that leg when we propel, that's a lot of work. We should be leaning away from the propelling leg. So our shoulders are continually switching height As we run and walk.
1: When you say propel, uh, what does that mean for people?
0: So the trail leg pushing off. So the trail leg. The
1: leg that's behind you. that
0: behind you is pushing you forward. We get pushed forward from behind more than we really drag ourselves from the front. Because all of the big juicy muscles of propulsion are behind us. Our glutes, the biggest muscle group in the body, they are behind you. And they help propel you forward. But if we're leaning on that leg, then that's just a whole world of extra work.
1: So let's say someone just heard that and they thought, okay, I'm going to go and stand in front of the mirror, and I'm going to notice what my body looks like, yeah. and then they walk, and then they march on the spot, and then they run on the spot, and they just notice what happens. Yeah. What can they do with that? Like if they're noticing, I mean, noticing is great, right? Because at least as you're starting to build in that awareness that oh wow, why yeah. is my left shoulder? Higher than my right, which I have had for many many years <laughs> um, not that I knew it before I started working with you, but mm. it, it, what can people do with that information though if they if they discover it
0: so Taking a shoulder as a case in point, if they then reached up with the high shoulder, so they just reached their arm above their head and just felt for how easy that movement was and then compared it to how easy it is for the other arm, the low shoulder arm to reach above the head. So you're not looking for necessarily um, the same range of motion. That would be nice, but if you've got an asymmetry in the shoulders, it's unlikely. But you're looking for the quality of the motion, because it might be that the high shoulder feels restricted, not the low shoulder. So just because it's high doesn't mean it's that's the problem. It could be the low shoulder, but if it's the low shoulder, it could it doesn't matter. The the asymmetry doesn't tell you where the problem is.
1: Yeah, that's a key point, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's, it's like in medicine where the site of the symptom is not always the site of the problem. So your eczema, for example, might be coming from your gut. Yes. You know, your migraine might be getting triggered by something that you're eating. Yes. So it's not necessarily a head problem. It's it, it, You've got to find out what it is. And I came to see you. Uh, I couldn't run at that time I don't even though I was doing the park run the five k every few weeks with my son, I don't think I could run more than two k at that time without my hammy my right hammy feeling my right hamstring <laughs> feeling really really tight and sore. but you helped me get rid of that, but we didn't really deal with the hamstring, did we
0: no no we it, the the pain area interests us in that we want to understand why the pain Uh, is there. So if we see asymmetry in a body, doesn't mean to say there's going to be any pain anywhere.
1: And I'm just going to pause you there. Asymmetry, so um, not symmetrical on both sides. Yeah,
0: so you're looking left to right... And front to back, so you can have a side view or a view from the front or the back. Yeah. And when things are not stacked on top of each other, that's all it is. It's just an alignment thing. It doesn't mean there's going to be any pain anywhere. But if there is pain, we need to understand why is the pain there? So if somebody is standing with their pelvis over to the left, which would lean their right leg in um, and and push their left leg uh, in the other way. So you'd be in this sort of slanty position. I'm exaggerating, of course. You could have pain in your left hip because you're pushing into it all the time. But you could have pain in your right hamstring because it's leaning away from the foot the whole time. So it's, it's with the shapes that we make, understanding, well, why is that pain there? Is this a something that is stuck in a long position. So if I'm leaning over to the left, my right hamstring is going to be possibly slightly long. And if it stays there, it never gets a chance to be short. So the point of that little example is, if stretching was going to be the answer, it's already long and it might feel as if the, the hamstring is is grateful for the extra stretch, but only because you're changing its status quo. Yeah. But it, you're probably promulgating the problem because actually that hamstring wants to be shorter. The pelvis wants to shunt uh, to the right to get that leg yeah. upright to make the hamstring's woes less.
1: Uh, and this is where I think this holistic whole body approach that you take is actually so important and will pretty much help everyone because what I see a lot of is, and I completely understand this, and I'm saying this with full respect to the healthcare professionals involved, that often it'll be, oh, my hammy gets sore. So they go and have the sports massage on the hammy and it might feel a bit better or they, uh, it's sore and tight. So they stretch it But sometimes that's not the right thing to do. Well, they go and see a healthcare professional who does some work on the hammy. But often, like with me, the hamstring, I could see it on your machine, which I do want you to tell us about shortly. I could see very clearly, oh, of course, my right hamstring is taking the load of my entire body. So it's trying its best. So actually stretching it may not be the right thing to do. It might be, it might not, but I needed your help there. And and I kind of feel this is a really key point for people is that the site of your injury or your pain may not be the site of the problem.
0: So often, more often than not, the pain area is the area doing the most work.
1: So we should treat it with love, right? That's trying its its best to help us.
0: Invariably, it's asking for a holiday invariably it's it's talking to you. The pain is talking to you. Please get off me. Please. Can you get the other leg to do something? So when people come in and they say, uh, you know, the doctor says, well, I, I mustn't run anymore. I, I say, number one, I say, okay, there's, there's a word missing there. Don't run badly. Just don't be mean to your body. So not don't run ever again, just don't run meanly, badly ever again. So, the pain is on one side. Invariably, the pain is on one side. Even when it becomes both sides, it started on one side and one side tends to be worse than the other. I have never come across anybody ever that has equal started and remained uh, the same time and the same intensity. It's, it has a bias to one side or the other, invariably. And and I say, well, okay, stop running. Let's just think about this. What is, where is the logic in the statement? Are you hopping? You are running. The other knee's fine. So why is this knee complaining? It's, it can't be running because the other knee is fine. There's no logic in saying it must be running. Yeah. It is the activity that tips you over the balance. If you don't have the pain when you walk, okay, there there is a tipping point. So now we have some intensity, some volume of intensity. Invariably, it only starts when I'm doing hill drills or speed work. So there's an intensity that that knee can cope with for a certain amount of time, and then it can't.
1: There's kind of a spiritual parallel here, isn't there, where... We move away from problems in life. You know, we we find something irritating, or, you know, let's say someone leaves a comment for us or whatever that 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 triggers us. And we have a tendency to, to move away, go, oh, that's irritating, isn't it? We don't want that. When actually it's a gift. It's a gift to go, oh, you know, what is it within me that is getting triggered by that comment or by that action? And when you sort of truly get that, you put yourself you give yourself a sense of control. It's like, okay, it's not about them. It's about I can work on something in me. And I, the way you were describing that there, I kind of saw a very similar parallel with movement and our bodies. And it's like, if your ankle or your knee or your back or your hamstring is giving you pain, lean into it, not literally with a stretch, but you know, go, okay, great. I now have an opportunity to discover something about my body that I didn't previously know.
0: Yes, yes. It is. uh, It will teach you. Pain is one of the best teachers. So when I work with somebody, invariably they might be running along and the pain starts again. And I say, okay. So they will know why the pain is where it is by that time. Okay. Where is your shoulder? What is that hand doing? Whatever it might be. Where is your ear? Okay, so we're working on the problem. So you can't just hack into the system and change the way you move. You have to find out why you're moving that way, put stimuli in, movement stimuli in to change that situation. But then whilst that is all happening in the background, we have to start to chip away at old habits. Yeah. So we have uh, the the work um, of movement stimuli getting into the body, uh, shining lights on these dark areas. But we also have ways uh, in the actual action of running to notice these habits that just creep in when you're not really thinking about it. And then the person will, will know their way in to help their, their, themselves. They will apply it and they'll take the pain away. Because the pain was telling them that there was too much going on on that area, Their weight was in the wrong place, but they knew how to get out of that scenario, and they take control of their problem. Yeah, it's that, the pain that, teaches them. Yeah, the pain teaches them. And actually, where what they you are. do,
1: and you're too modest to um, sing your own praises. So I'll sing them because you, you know, you, you really, you really are incredible. Like I've what I have. You know, for me, it's not about running, actually, and we'll get to my marathon journey later because a lot of people want me to unpack it, and who better than you to to do it with me. Um, but my work with you is actually not about running. Yes, we run. It's about efficiency. It's about me understanding my body better. It's about longevity because I know now from all the work I've done with you, my body moves better than it has ever moved before. So I walk better. I I walk so quickly now without even trying, right? Uh, Vid used to say, why can't you walk quicker? Like I struggle to keep up with her, but I had all these restrictions I didn't know about. Now that they've been freed and released, I effortlessly walk more. And for me, this Why I invest so much time and energy into movement is because good quality movement is necessary for our daily lives, but it's necessary when you're 70, 80, 90. Look around at a lot of people, how they walk. I see my mum who I have to help care for. I think I really don't want to be like that. And so if I can invest in my body, get more efficiency now, I'm going to be a healthier 80-year-old, 90-year-old, you know, and, and for me, that's the really exciting thing. This goes beyond running. I mean, what's your view on that? You you know, people would call you a running coach. I think that is far too reductionist a term for you, but but, what does that make you think of? Do you, do you accept that term or would you frame it slightly differently?
0: Um, I don't, uh, I struggle with labels. People ask um, what I am. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> I think I don't know what I am. I'm a Helen Hall. Uh I'm 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 not an Ist of any description. My educational journey has taken this lovely meandering, a bit like this river flowing here, and I I go off on little tributaries. And I I just if I can't answer a question, I'll seek to learn uh, to find the information so I can answer the question. So um, I coach running. Yeah, sure. I assess running. I assess movement, and I implement change into that movement. I I analyze stuff. I sleuth um, movement, and and I coach running, and I guide people towards being less mean to their bodies. So the training programs uh, that are ubiquitous, and people have there's a lot of opinions out there, and and that's all fine. And my opinion is, generally speaking, that we are just uh, not kind enough to our bodies because we're not really knowing of what our bodies can do, want to do, um, are able to do. So if we take it back to the beginning about whether or not we're born to run and we move from walking into running and it's just another gear if we accept that putting one foot in front of the other is an innate movement in us, why would we need to learn to walk better? So you talked about, you've discovered you're walking better, but that is even that alone is so interesting because why is it that people do need to learn to walk better? And it's simply because they haven't noticed how badly they've started to move. Not bad walking, but movement. And it's not that I teach anybody how to walk. There's no right or wrong way to walk. But are you bringing your entire body along with you in that walking gait? Is everything, is the timing um, on point? Is uh, one leg and the other leg doing the same job? Is the pelvis only rotating one way? So you have one and a half strides rather than two strides. And then taking that because everybody walks before they run. We can't be Forrest Gump. We can't run everywhere because it's too much intensity. So we have to be able to walk well, to walk efficiently, to walk smoothly, to be able to then transition that into running with the same mechanics that we have for walking, just with more intensity. Yeah. So. It's very important to people think not to think that they have to learn how to walk properly. It's not properly; it's just more effectively, more efficiently using more of their body, which then instantly translates into running.
1: Yeah, but that's that's this this underpinning philosophy for me, Helen. It's efficiency, and it's noticing. Yeah, like I I really feel if I look back on our last eighty months together, there's so many different things I've learned about myself. Yes, physically, but also emotionally, and maybe we'll get to that. Uh, later in the conversation this time. But I think they're the two biggest things. I understand my body better now. Yeah. Which is why despite a challenging London Marathon Day, because of what you've taught me and because what I now know about my body, I was able to manage my entire body around the last 16 miles when I could barely run because of my groin. yeah. I don't think I could have done that without the knowledge. Um, and it is efficiency. Like, you've not, I, I just walk and run faster and it feels easier. Like, because it's, it's about efficiency. And one of the things I feel very proud of that with the work we did together is that you allowed my training to fit around my life. It didn't mm-hmm. overtake me. Mm-hmm. I probably undertrained compared to what a lot of people do mm-hmm. for a marathon, but I don't think that's the reason why I had a tricky day at all. I really yeah. don't believe that. But this key point I, I really want to get across um, is noticing. And, and can I, the example I want to use is last time you came to the house, you went for a run with my brother. So you didn't go all in detail like you have done with me, but you've transformed the way he runs from spending 30, 40 minutes with him. Mm. And it all came down to head over shoulder over hips. You know, what is, do you have the forward head position or not? And what was interesting, he said to me, Mate, I didn't realize that I was running inefficiently, but when Helen showed me what to do, and then we ran for a bit like that, and then she said, go back to what you're doing before, I could just feel how sluggish and how inefficient it was. So I think that's the magic in your approach is you allow the individual to start noticing themselves. So I want to talk about noticing. I want to talk about head forward posture. And I kind of want to frame it around, is our heads being forwards the number one problem that you see these days?
0: So I continually say with so much enthusiasm because it is the beginning of everything getting better. If your head isn't on right, nothing great (laughs) is going to happen. If you don't know where your head is, nothing great is going to happen because it is heavy and it is sensory headquarters, no pun intended. This is our most precious commodity. All of our movement coordination is organised so that we don't faceplant. So if that head is off its perch, the muscles are hanging on to it for dear life. So, if our head, if I just move my head there, I can turn my head this much because there's so many structures now hanging onto my head, which is not perched effortlessly on top of the spine.
1: and for people listening, Helen just put her <laughs> head forwards. Uh, so the, the typical sort of head forward posture that many of us have these days. And her rotation was completely limited when she tried to move her net from side to side.
0: I forgot that this was, um, yes, uh, n- not just uh, me looking at you. So then I put my <laughs> my head on right. So I just park it where it it feels most wobbly. So I'm just sat here and I can just wibbly wobbly it about and it just feels easy. And I can turn my head. And I've got just this much bigger range of motion. And if you do that standing in front of the mirror, you will find you will have more movement everywhere in your body. A head that isn't on its perch is being hung on to by a whole swathe of soft tissue, which limits the joint rotations, which limits your movement, which seems a bit sad.
1: Would you say... Because there's obviously so many complaints people have with running, but also walking, just movement in general. But, you know, if someone said to you, what is the number one problem you see in the 21st century with people wanting to run? Yeah. Is this it?
0: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt. It, uh, my, my job mainly entails getting rid of the elephant in the room. Case in point, there was a young footballer, Career threatening injury, it was lockdown. Uh, he couldn't, nobody could move. It was the first lockdown. And uh he he was it was suggested that I might be able to help. So he reached out and I said, send me some video. And I it was the elephant in the room was a forward head of um, it was epic that he was actually able to stay upright and not face plant. His body was working so hard with that forward head position. And, and I said to him, uh, has anybody mentioned your head? Because maybe I was wrong. Maybe his symptoms were nothing to do with his head. If somebody had already dealt with it, then it wasn't that. So people come to me, a slight digression, people come to me, I'm generally last resort but they come and there's all this wonderful evidence already that's happened so all the work that's been that's happened already isn't wasted because this is all evidence that okay well that hasn't helped that hasn't helped that hasn't helped so okay let's stay away from all of that and make sure we do something different otherwise it, we know it's not going to work so i just needed to make sure that nobody had mentioned this elephant in the room because it was extraordinary and and i said anybody mentioned your head position and he went oh yes and i Oh, okay, okay, great. So, did you do something about it? And he went, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, did your team physios help you with your head position?" Oh no, no, it wasn't the no no. It was my wife. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> so it was okay. Okay, you should listen to your wife. Yes, let's deal with this.
1: So she his wife had noticed the forward head yes, position.
0: Yes. And this guy he hadn't been able to take a single running step despite several surgeries. And within 2 weeks he was running. And and when he went back they were saying, "Oh, you you're running better than we've ever seen you move." Yeah. And and all we done was popped his head back on place yeah. where it where it was meant to be.
1: And And I just want to add here because, I mean, I love this stuff, Helen, because (laughs) it's like you said, you know, people don't know where the head is. I now know where my head is. Like, I don't think I did two years ago. I I kind of, I think I'm pretty good with my body. I think I've got a really good awareness, I think. But even if I did, it has been, you know, upgraded a hundredfold over the past 18 months, which is, you know, I can really see even when I'm out walking now and that I feel I've got a new Um, I need joy of movement. I love movement anyway. I love it now. I love going for a walk, but not in the way that I used to. I used to love going for a walk two years ago, but now it's an opportunity for me to, yes, switch off, get some relaxation, but also move efficiently.
0: And that goes, people say running is boring. And it, it is, there's so much to think about. How could it possibly be boring? There's things to see and things to notice. Constantly. It's a constant body scan and it's not a boring, that sounds onerous. It's not onerous at all. You had the skill at the when it the when it got tough and it was tough for a long time for you in the marathon, you had the skill, even when it was hard, to not make it harder. So in learning about your own body, if 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 you're not going to look after your own body, who is? You know, you have control over your own body. And if you learn about it, when things get tough, you can make it as easy as possible. If you don't learn about it, you can easily make things much harder than they need to be. Yeah. So at the end of the Ironman, uh we we swim a long, long way, we cycle a long way and then we run a marathon. And it is Continually surprising to me to see people bent, shuffling, head down. It's hard. Everybody's tired. But in that fatigue, they are making things harder. And if they just knew how to arrange their body parts to make it less onerous, they would complete that marathon section, the end of the Ironman, more easily.
1: It's like a car, right? Isn't it? it? Let's say you're on a long journey and i don't it's probably not the best analogy but i'm just trying to just trying to sort of look at it a slightly different way like if your car if your back left wheel has got a puncture and you keep trying to push through with it that that last leg of your journey is just going to take longer you're going to be doing damage to the car you know you're not going to be moving as efficiently as if you stop and you know Pump it up and actually make sure all four wheels are symmetrical again, and and you know got the same tire pressure. It's going to effortlessly finish the last leg of the journey. I guess it's it's,
0: it's a nice it, analogy. It works, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it really works. does. So those are spark plugs. So I call those spark plugs. So people will they'll be running and they'll they'll think there's a, this is another misconception uh, or a preconception. I think it's a misconception that they people push through pain you're to push through pain you know run through it. I think it's probably more likely to be your body saying, you know can you get off? can you stop can stop moving like that? What can you do to help that body part along? so instead of pushing through you go into a walk rearrange yourself and then people I work with will always have a go-to movement yeah. that they can't they know that that's their their little uh, their pump up their their puncture kit. So they can apply that little stimulus to breathe life into something that's that's tiring quickly because it's still maybe recovering from an injury. And then they can crack on again rather than stopping and pulling it, which is what people tend to do.
1: Yeah, it's not stop running. it's stop running like
0: that. Yes, and it translates into everything. You know, people go into the gym. Don't stop squatting, but stop squatting like that. Are you aware that you're drifting one side or the other? You know, are you paying attention? People look in the mirror, but they see what they know. It's just the same as what um, Hugh, Hugh said on the conversation about the marathon. The the organizers' yeah, podcast ago, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and he said people believe what they see. People also see what they know. So they'll be looking in the mirror and they will only see if they're doing a squat, uh, maybe the barbell on their back or at the front, they're going down. They're not seeing necessarily the direction of the squat or the bit of their body that pushes first to get back up to standing. But once you see it, once it's been pointed out to you, you can't unknow it. You can't unfeel it. You can't unsee it. And if I may, uh, yesterday with the children, yeah. they they nailed it.
1: just taking a quick break to give a shout out to Vivo Barefoot, one of the sponsors of today's show. Now, I am a huge fan of Vivo Barefoot shoes and have been wearing them for over 10 years now, well before they started supporting my podcast. And they really have had a huge impact on my own life and the lives of many of my patients. You see, I've seen so many benefits when people start wearing Vivos, improvements in back pain, hip pain, knee pain, foot pain, even things like plantar fasciitis. And contrary to what you might initially think, most people find vivos really, really comfortable. In fact, many people who try them tell me they would never go back to wearing cushioned shoes. Just before the summer, I picked up their Primus Light 3 shoes, which I absolutely love. So if you're not sure where to start, that could be a good one to start your Vivo journey with. And if you're interested in giving these shoes a go for your own children, the Vivo Kids school range is now back in stock for the new school year. If you or your family have never tried Vivos before, please remember it is completely risk-free to do so as Vivo offer a 100 day trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you just send them back for a full refund. They are the only shoes that I have worn for over 10 years now, and my wife and children also love wearing them. If you go to vivobarethought.com forward slash live more, they are giving 15% off as a one-time code to all of my podcast listeners. Terms and conditions do apply. To get your 15% off codes, all you have to do is go to vivobearfoot.com forward slash live more. AG1 are also sponsoring today's show. Now nutrition is of course really important for our health, not only our physical health, but our mental health as well. In fact, I have seen on many occasions that improving nutrition can help people who are struggling with anxiety. Now, I want to make it really clear. In an ideal world, everybody would get all of their nutrition from real whole foods. But I know from over two decades of seeing patients that a lot of people struggle to consistently find the time to get the nutrition that they want. Does that sound familiar? Do you often have the best intentions for your diet, but then you find that life gets in the way? I get it. You know, I really do. This is one of the reasons why I am a fan of good quality whole food supplements like AG1. Now, AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health. It's a science-driven formulation of 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics and whole food source nutrients. And the best thing of all is that all this goodness comes in one convenient daily serving that tastes really, really great. AG1 has been in my own life for over five years now, and I genuinely think it is one of the best whole food supplements out there It can help support energy and focus, gut health and digestion. And it also helps support a healthy immune system, something that is really, really important, especially at this time of year. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. For listeners of my show, you get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, another crucial ingredient for our immune systems, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase Go to drinkag1.com forward slash live more. That's drinkag1.com forward slash live more.
0: So, yesterday, your daughter exemplified it so beautifully yesterday when she took control of her head once she knew where it was. I just filmed her. So as soon as something we use tech all the time, as soon as you use a visual, it hits home, because if it's pointed out to you, you can't unknow that. You can look in the mirror and not have a clue that your head's tilted over, until somebody says, and then you'll always know your head's tilted over. And she was magnificent. Her running was um, uh, tricky. Uh, It was hard work. She wanted to go further, and. And I showed her, we, her head was over to the side. Can you see that your head's over the side? Okay, yeah. And we're already working on that. And then she picked up three ways of knowing how her, where her head is as she's running and she reorganised her own head whilst running. She PB'd, she went further than she's ever been. She could have gone further. It was
1: easy. I couldn't believe it. When when she came back and said, Daddy, Daddy, I've done 5K or 6K. I was like, what? You've just gone and done 5 or 6K? She thought, yeah, she had a big smile on her face. And I mean, she's only eight years old. Um, and I don't think she's ever done 5K before.
0: And she knew when her head went back, because there's a habit going on there, when her head went back, she didn't like it. Yeah. She didn't, just like your brother, she didn't like that feeling.
1: Noticing, awareness. She, she had
0: noticed and, and it was, so she would correct. She would instantly correct. It would go and she would instantly well, well, correct. Well, that's,
1: you know, for me, home. that's the beauty though. Even if you never saw Anushka again, right, which I hope doesn't happen, but let's say that never did happen. She's already learned something that I think will help her for the rest of her life. You know, oh, I now know when my head's not in the right place, she felt it. She embodied it. She experienced it. What's better than that? That's You mentioned training plans and reading blogs and reading these sort of various things about, you know, the 10 common mistakes runners do or, you know, whatever those cl- sort of classic blogs are. And they kind of work for some people. Yeah. But they don't work for everyone.
0: Yeah. And in my experience, they work best for the ab initio, so the, the first timers. So when people are taking up a new distance or right. um, a new discipline. A uh, really a nice story exemplifying this, I think, is um, uh, a girl uh, who went with her boyfriend to New Zealand to do um, Ironman New Zealand. She had done uh, a classic distance um, triathlon, which is, so the run at the end is a 10k as opposed to a marathon. So that's, you know, everything is shorter. Uh, When they got there, because it's New Zealand, there were still spaces to uh, sign up. So she had not trained for an Ironman, her boyfriend had trained for the Ironman. And she just thought, well, I'll just give it a go while I'm here. I'll just, you get to see a little bit more of the countryside. So off I go. And she did amazingly well, staggeringly well, to the extent that, oh my goodness, uh, you need to do Ironman because this is your sport. And then she trained for it. She followed a training program for it. She never, ever achieved that same time. She got slower and slower because she arrived fresh uh, uninjured because she hadn't put her body through the mill. I always say it's always better to start on the start line a little bit undertrained than even a teeny tiny bit overtrained. You don't want to be fatigued before you start. So she hadn't trained for it. It was a huge event. You know, she she did it in just over 11 hours, which is, you know, that would be a dream for me. It's still a lot of mo- a lot of movement, continual movement, and she was never able to replicate that with training because the training put her body into a state of fatigue and continual, you're you're just always trying to catch up with yourself. So people in the first, if they follow a training program that might be online and it worked the first time, they will do it again. And then the injuries tend to start happening because it worked the first time because they were already in a state of under-training because they hadn't done anything. And then the second time they build and now they're, they're doing it following um, by rote rather than following it noticing.
1: What do you mean by rote?
0: By rote. So if it says, and this is again through experience, they would race on a Sunday, uh, race day was Sunday, hill training day with the club is Monday. And they would hill train on a Monday because that's what the club does, even though they'd raced on the Sunday. And... Nobody's body can do that with any consistency and not struggle to recover because the, the the muscle fibers that we use with that kind of intensity take a minimum of 48 hours to recover. Yeah. And and that's only certain people. For some it's it's between 48 hours and a week. Now I lie at the other end of the scale, so it would take me a week to recover from an intense session. And so people are training through the week, still recovering from that which they have done, the work that they have done, not realising that their body is still recovering because they're managing, well, it should be hard, shouldn't it? Yes. It should hurt, shouldn't it? We go for the burn, don't we?
1: Well, these are stories.
0: Uh, yes. and
1: it, That have become truth.
0: Yes. And if, if we say it often enough, we'll believe it. But
1: Helen, I through the work I did with you, right, about two months before the marathon we must have run together or covered together 20, 21 miles.
0: Yes.
1: Now there was a nutrition issue, which you, I was learning about how to fuel my body for that sort of distance, yeah. but there was no body my biomechanical issue. Like I didn't have pain anywhere. No. Like my body didn't break down. And the next day I, I didn't feel a thing. Yeah. I didn't stretch afterwards. I didn't hot bath afterwards because I was moving efficiently. And one of the things I love that you've taught me is that the body is a, what do you say, a self-massaging...
0: Self-generating, self-organizing, self-manipulating. It does it all. We are a self-sustaining organism.
1: Yeah. And so for me, that was an incredible learning because conventional wisdom is you're going to be sore after that. You need to do loads of recovery after that. You're going to have to stretch. Again, I know that works for some people, right? So I'm not at all criticising. I'm going, in terms of my own experience, I was like, after nothing. We did our walking warm-up. We did our walking warm-down, as you always... uh, Encourage people to do. I don't feel a thing the next day. Nothing. And that was in barefoot shoes as well. Right. So this is challenging a lot of these kind of, I think, misconceptions that are out there. Can we just for a moment take it away from the elite athlete? Because Ironman, you know, triathlons, marathons, okay. A lot of people, I think, who listen to the show might not be interested in that. I know there's some quite sick people. Who listen to my show and they might go, you know, yeah, what's this got to do with me? Well, I think efficiency of movement has something to do with everybody. So even if someone, you know, for someone their marathon literally might be a walk around the block. I've got patients who struggle that much. Maybe they've got issues with fatigue or fibromyalgia, you know, going around the block is their marathon. Yeah. Right. And they deserve just as much credit. Yeah. When they achieve their marathon, as the kind of people we see on Instagram or on TV, but in advance of this conversation, a lady who follows me on Instagram has been messaging me, and you know I get so many messages; it's hard to keep up with them. But I just happened to be able to. It popped up when I engaged, and she replied, and so we had a really nice interaction. She lives in Australia, and she loves running. And she's heard me rave about you and Gary before. So she's picked up your book. Um, you know, even with your shoes on, she's downloaded your Barefoot audio tracks. <sighs> and she loves running. But one thing she said to me really made me sad, actually. She said, you know what? I am I have a fear and anxiety about running. And asked her why. And she said, she sort of hinted that Um, she's carrying a lot of excess weight. Mm -hmm. She says, I think I'm going to be judged. I feel clumsy. I feel heavy. I feel thick. Um, I don't have the beautiful poetry in motion that I see online. Mm -hmm. And I felt that was just so sad that, you know, I've never met this lady. I've just had a few DMs exchanged with her. Mm -hmm. But I thought, wow, wow. She wants to run. She's really motivated to. She's scared of being judged mm. when she runs. She's scared of judging herself mm. when she runs. And that that line, mm. not the beautiful poetry in motion runner.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: What what would you say to that?
0: Oh, so uh, running is such a great leveler. Uh, I have been passed by uh, so many bigger, uh, heavier, older. Uh, just to mention Ironman one more time, I was beaten on my first Ironman uh, by three hours by a guy three decades older than me. So if when you movement, movement is a leveler. So maybe, you know, sprinting um, and fast, uh, accelerated sports uh, aside, walking and running are levelers it doesn't matter what size you are, what shape you are. My husband is a big guy and he runs as light as a feather. Uh, Barefoot Ted complimented him on his running prowess. It's not about your size. It's not even about your fitness because that will just come. People ask, do I need to be fit to come to you? Well, Well, no, otherwise nobody would be able to come because everybody's hurting so badly. The, the fitness comes with better movement because more of your body is being moved. So instead of the movement coming from a smaller part of your body, it's being shared, which makes the job easier. But now more of your body is moving. So you're manipulating more of your body and you're, you're pumping life through more of your body. So with with reference, um, people who are sick, the same thing applies. Where is your head? Are you making your walk around the block as easy as it could be as all-encompassing with all of your body parts as it could be or is it harder than it needs to be which when you're already sick is is uh, is well you know it's uh, that is a hard thing to do. So you'd want that to be made as easy as possible which then and this uh, goes back to um, the father of osteopathy Andrew still the artery is king. If you can get your head on right, then all of the tubes, it's just plumbing, all of the tubes, the, the kinks get taken out of the pipes, the blood can flow better, the metabolic waste can flow better, the air can flow better. It's easier to move. So when you, in any... Whether you're tired, whether you're sick, whether you're injured, if you can understand how your body moves and notice where it isn't moving and help it along a little bit better, you will move better and then further and enjoy it more and, 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 and it will grow.
1: So this lady in Australia who wants to run, she wants to run more efficiently, yeah. but is fearful and nervous about it because of her size. And presumably because of the way she views herself on some level, what would you say to her
0: directly? When I see uh, people who aren't moving uh, smoothly and fluidly, but they're out there, all I can think is, good for you. You're giving it a go. Just start. Uh Hugh said it, as it's a, such a commonly used uh, Chinese proverb, but it's so true. It starts with a single step. We all, I think, have to learn to not judge quite as much as we do. Uh, it's certainly a work in progress for me. I think uh, some people are better at it than others. Some people are really, really not very good at it at all. But when you see people out there giving it a go, don't for for her to even feel as if she's being judged it's because she knows it's been in somebody else's eyes and we collectively need to stop that we need to stop judging people for getting out there and trying and and applauding them instead like on in the marathon yeah London Marathon, nobody was saying nasty things to anybody whilst they were trying, whilst they might have been struggling, might, when they might have been limping, they might have been walking. They were cheering them on. Doesn't matter how old they were, how big they were, how fit they looked, how much prowess they showed. They were being cheered. We should be cheering everybody. As Hugh said, the party bus is at the back because those people at the back, they're the heroes. They're the people that inspire everybody. The people at the front, yes, great. The four-hour marathoners, good for you those aren't really the people that inspire everybody else to get off the couch and start moving. Good for you is what I say to you. Just ignore what everybody else might be thinking. They might be thinking good for you. So just go out and put one one foot in front of the other and notice, where is your head? First job, where is your head? Get it on better. Get it on right. There's only one place for it to be and only you know exactly where that is.
1: And and on that point, Helen, I know not everyone can work with you one-on-one unfortunately um for a variety of reasons but you're passionate about helping as many people as possible so you've created these videos to kind of get the word out there so people can well the way I see it with those videos which are brilliant is that and if we get time we'll talk about this this is not the Helen Hall method right you're not you've not developed a new method of running. I came in with you thinking, oh, do I have to run like this? Is it the Qi method or the pose method? Or, and all these things that I'd read about. And you get, well, I don't know if that's the right thing for you. I'm just going to help your body move more efficiently. How do you see those videos? Because I, I kind of see that they can help people
0: figure some of this stuff out themselves. Well, I'm the self-proclaimed queen of efficiency. So my whole world is about efficiency. So rather than um, this way or that way, the right way or the wrong way, it's just can we have a non-confrontational discussion, conversation about what is best for you? What is absolutely right for you with your body as it is? How can that uh, make certain shapes to make movement more efficient? And Working one person at a time really wasn't cutting my whole ethos of efficiency, which is why I ended up writing the book because I thought, well, if I write a book, more people can read about what I say incessantly day in day Tell out. Tell us the title. So, even with your shoes on, uh, which and and I was warned, are you sure you want to call it that? And I was like, totally. It came to me, and I knew it was right. Even with your shoes on, because people, I was known as a barefoot runner much as you are now. And, uh, but it was, it's it's not about the shoe. I just choose to have less on my feet than most. It's a choice, but you can put anything on your shoe. If your, if your feet are comfortable, you can put anything on your feet and you can move efficiently. So I titled the book, Even With Your Shoes On, so that it didn't, um, pigeonhole, uh, the presentation of the work to just people who wear less on their feet, like I do. So I was trying to make it all inclusive. Um, I don't know if I hit the spot there, but that's what it's called, and I still enjoy it.
1: Book titles, yeah. Don't get me started on book yeah. titles.
0: <laughs> so it it was probably not the best um, in terms of uh, publishing, but it was my choice. So even with your shoes on, and uh, the book walks you by the hand. It started as a 26,000 word manual and uh, Gary's uh, friend read it for me and they held me by the hand and sat me down quietly and said, okay, so you need to assume that we all know less than you think we do and hold us very carefully by the hand and start again. So my 26,000 word manual turned into a hundred and five thousand word tome, which weighs nearly a kilo. But I, but it was absolutely the right thing to say because I just wasn't using enough words, which is very unlike me, not using enough words so that people could follow it step by step. And we start with head position. We start with stacking. And still people had lots of questions because I couldn't, and I couldn't fit everything, couldn't fit everything in. So then I decided, well, I could make videos as a result of lockdown. I was doing kind of online classes where I was preparing people for their run. So a warm up, if you will, which actually can then became an exploration, which then if somebody had any energy left to do some running afterwards, which I always did, they would find more about their running as a result of exploring their body through the movements in the videos. So essentially, the videos become me uh, taking you for your warm up walk, talking about all the things that we discuss in a warm up walk taking you through some movements to prepare yourself for your next running session, whether or not you're exploring hills or speed um, or whatever it might be. You're narrow tracking because it turns out you've, you're always spraining your ankles and you've got IT band issues.
1: Uh, when you say narrow tracking, you're talking about the width? Yeah, between of which your, your feet are apart when you run. Yes. Which again, I remember is something that we did together. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that changing the width of how far apart my feet are
0: Makes a difference, and you can feel it yourself. It's transformative yeah. uh, to the extent that you see people running along these very narrow, overgrown trails, and and I am struggling. I've got one foot in the trail and one foot on the bank somewhere because it, to to run along that tightrope is just so uncomfortable. Do, do people? Because I'm going to put a
1: link in the show notes to the book and the videos because I think they're going to help so many people. Um, you. you know, I've got friends who I've got the book for. They find it really helpful. Um, one friend in particular, you know, he's, he just loves it. It's really helped him. It's actually helped him with his golf swing.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) It's helped him with his golf swing, you know, because what we're talking about is efficiency, efficiency of movement.
0: I've got a, somebody wrote to me recently and she's not a runner and it's helped her walking. Yeah. Because every single running session starts with walking and walking involves your entire body. So it's just all we're doing is exploring your whole body so that you can use your whole body for whatever activity you want to do. It doesn't matter the sport. It's just more of you being available. So you have more joy from your movement and therefore maybe you'll keep it going and not stop once you've started.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope people get it because I've been lucky enough to work directly with you Um, But I I, I just want everyone to have access to that wisdom and knowledge that you've imparted on me. And I think this is a great way um, of you doing it. Um, Let's get into the marathon because we've touched on it a couple of times. (laughs) Um, You know, I've been so busy since the marathon, I don't think I've had a chance to properly unpack it myself. So let's see what happens now when, when we get into it.
0: Well, I can't wait to hear all about it. Well,
1: I don't know. Maybe you should ask the questions. I mean,
0: (laughs) well, uh, I think that the logical place to start is, uh, the end. Yeah. Um, because it invoked emotions that you weren't expecting and working backwards from there might enable you to then shape it in your head to then be able to move forward with all of that information that you've just discovered inside you.
1: Yes, yeah, so it was interesting. Um, it wasn't the day that me or you, I guess, had expected or wanted. I really struggled. Yeah. Um, I think from mile three, I was feeling my right groin. Yeah. And I thought, oh, c- come on, still, so, you know, you just, you know, you're in the positive frame of mind. You've seen the crowds. You're like, ah, oh, this will go. You know, come on, just, just, you know, keep you know, stick to the strategy. Um, But it wasn't getting better. It was progressively getting worse. Uh, To the point where I was close to tears at times and in pain. And I think when, at one point when I saw Vid and the kids, I think I did burst into tears. There was so much emotion in me during that uh, event. But in answer to your question, people who've followed me on Instagram or, or heard the conversation I had with Hugh, a few episodes ago will have heard the four goals I had yeah. for this marathon. I'll just reiterate them. One was to do the event and complete it in barefoot shoes. So I did it in my Vivo barefoots and I thought that was no problem at all. Uh, one was for the um, the training and the aftermath to not overly interfere with my personal or professional life. I feel I yeah. succeeded there. I yeah. wanted to nasal breathe the whole way around. Uh, which I did, although given how much I had to walk in the end, I'm not sure I can claim, um, you know, I, I think we have to put that in the context. But yes, I think I pretty much did, apart from when talking to people, which had to do quite a lot, which we'll get to. Yeah. And the other goal was to finish with a smile on my face. So technically I did yeah. finish with a smile on my face, technically. Yeah. But I wasn't smiling on the inside.
0: No.
1: I didn't feel joy. No when I passed the finish line. In fact, I remember I went through and I was just in such turmoil in my head. I remember saying to someone who had like some official gear on, I said, Have I, is that it? Have I finished? I didn't feel euphoria. And it was like a six hour therapy session with my inner voice. Stuff that I thought I dealt with and processed. Oh man, they say this about endurance events that you start to discover stuff about yourself that it's... I really feel endurance is going to be the next stage of my spiritual evolution, actually, because I learned so much. It wasn't the race I wanted. Now, I've obviously, we've had a few conversations, but we haven't spoken for a few weeks on this. So mm-hmm. I have this real conflict, Helen, where it's kind of weird. Right? It may surprise people but I'm actually a relatively private person. But doing that event... In public, I didn't realize how many people knew who I was. Like, I didn't have my name on my top, right? I didn't didn't say Rongan or Dr. Chatterjee. Yet, all throughout, people shout, Come on, Rongan. Come on, Dr. Chatterjee. Um, And when they say Rongan and not Rangan, I'm like, Oh, you you know how to pronounce my name. It's all like that. That's still a shock to me when people actually say it correctly because I've had people saying it incorrectly my entire life. And I had this real conflict where. The truth is, it wasn't about a time, right? But my entire life, I've been really harsh on myself. I've expected perfection in anything I do. And although the time wasn't a target, I still thought, yeah, you'll probably get, you know, probably get this done in about four and a half hours. You know, in my head, although that wasn't the target. And and I tell you what, during that, during the race, during the event, that started coming up for me, like this judgment, but also what are people thinking? And I thought I'd move beyond that. And so I had this real conflict, Helen, which is so weird, right? Where I was in agony, I was in pain. And then people were saying really lovely things. I kept getting stopped whilst running. And people were saying the most wonderful things. Like, I, I just wasn't expecting that. People were running. And then you said, Dr. Chastity, oh man, I've, I've just been listening to your show. It's completely transformed my life. Like I got so much love from people mm-hmm. in that event. And I guess because of the last 18, 20 months, you, you don't really do stuff in public that much anymore. It was so touching. Yeah, so I was having this kind of external um you know, gratitude being showed to me, which was lovely. But at the same time, I'm struggling in pain. I'm also struggling with my inner voice that, man, you're not, you know, are you even going to finish this? If it wasn't all in the marathon, I would not have completed that marathon. I want to be really clear. I am proud of myself. I think you have taught me how to manage my body. So, I don't know how I got through the last 16 miles because I pretty much walk hobbled. And You know, past 13 miles, I couldn't lift my right foot up. So if I was going past a drink station and there was a bottle on the floor, I had to put my hands onto my leg and lift it up manually so I couldn't lift my right leg up. Oh my goodness. So I'm proud, but I also don't want to glorify um, finishing even when you're in pain. There's no disgrace if people stop because they're in pain, and just to be really clear, because I'm really passionate about this, if I felt I was damaging my body, I would have stopped. But I thought, no, this just feels like a tension. It's getting worse. I'm going to manage this round. I, my knee wasn't like crunching with every step. I wouldn't. I would not have. Mm-hmm. I would not have kept going then. Was that wrong? And what was this sort of? pride that you finished it but it's going to then cost you your health no mm-hmm. so I don't feel I've done any long-term damage mm. uh, I could say a lot more but I, but I'll pause there for the moment
0: mm. so I think that underlying the the decision to keep going and not stop because you you somehow knew that it wasn't damaging you because we knew where it had come from yeah and if we um, in When people start uh, moving more, if they, we have this innate intelligence inside of us where we can trust our, if we can trust our gut, rather than um, people second guess themselves all the time, if we can trust our gut, our gut will be telling us whether or not this is like, whoa, stop, don't go anymore because you are just going to really badly hurt yourself or man, this is, this is really hard work, but I can keep going. Somewhere you, you went, you kept going because you could, even though it was really painful because your central nervous system wasn't so alarmed that it needed to stop you, but you were flaring something that had just, um, you were challenging an area of tissue in your body. We, we knew, um, that had only just been joined in the party.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good point. I wanted to bring up scars at some point. I think now's a good time. So I'll give you my understanding of this and um, you can then tell me if I've got this right or not. It looks like now, if I look back on my entire life with all my issues with movement that I have had, whether it's recurrent sprained ankles when I used to play squash as a teenager, whether it's the back pain or the inability to ever run up hills, like I remember at uni, I'd run with my mate sometimes and we'd get to a hill, I couldn't do anything. It was like it's just like he flew off and I was like almost had to walk. What I've learned through you is that actually, all of this may come down. To the appendix operation I had when I was seven, eight, or nine. I can't remember the exact age, Mm -hmm. neither can my mum at the moment. (laughs) Um, I was in India on holiday. And I know the story because it's been sort of, you know, that you have stories in families that keep getting told. You know, the story is that we were due to fly home a few days. Dad, we, you know, they're taking me to see a few doctors, no one was doing anything. Um, I think everyone just wanted to wait, just say look, you just fly home to the UK, get it sorted there. And my dad took me in somewhere. Dad, dad was a medical doctor. He insisted to the surgeon take out my son's appendix. It needs to come out. So dad insisted. They took it out, and the, as word has it, the story goes that it was a really you know uh, um, bent, infected appendix. Okay, apparently everyone saw it afterwards. Mm-hmm. But i tell you what I remember, Helen. I remember so clearly. I was in the hospital the next day. And I thought I was standing straight. But I wasn't. And what I thought was straight, I was bent over. I don't know, to my left or to my right. And the doctors or the nurses said to me, we can't discharge you until you're standing up straight. This is my memory of the, of the conversation. And I remember, yeah. so we could get our flight home. I remember, I was only seven or eight. Like, blagging it basically, and actually tilting myself so that I was straight in the mirror. To say, yeah, yeah, I'm straight. Can I go? Can I go now? Um, but to me, that felt as though I was bent. And why I find that so interesting is because, and this comes down to the marathon and the injury. Ever since I met you, this scar, this lower right abdominal appendix scar, you have had your eye on. You've done work on it. You know, my understanding is that. I would never go into that area of my body. I would do anything I could, not consciously. My body would do anything it could to avoid compressing that scar. And for all the time we've worked together, we've we've made so many improvements. It's like peeling off layers of the onion. I'm getting faster. My movement's getting better. We went on this 21 mile run. I'm like, marathon, no problem. Yeah, bring it on. This is great. Barefoot shoes, nasal breathing. Come on, let's go. And literally four or five weeks when we popped in to see you in the summer, I still remember you were shot. I suddenly found the movement mm. that you've been trying to help me with that my brain couldn't get mm. for a year and a half. Mm. And I know if I had done the marathon at the start of August, I actually think I would have smashed it, no problem. Yeah. So although it seems, or you could argue, oh, this is a failure. You didn't do it the way you wanted to. If it was all about the marathon, yeah, that was a failure. Or you could you could make that argument. If it's my movement journey for life, what I discovered with you at the end of August, suddenly I can now get into that section of my body. It's like, well, this is great. It's just not brilliant timing because now... You know, is, have I got that right?
0: Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. So the rest of your body was conditioned. We'd done a couple of twenty milers. Uh, you'd done a seventeen miler, a fifteen miler. You'd, you'd figured out the nutrition, where things were going. You know, when the wheels were coming off. You'd, you'd done all the work, um, and and you were doing all of that without that movement. So everything was conditioned around the fact that the body was still resisting, and we just have to respect the body. Uh, there's a there's another Chinese proverb uh, um, by Teo um, uh, Tzu, I don't know how you pronounce it, but nature never hurries, but everything everything happens in good time. So we can't accelerate time. Time. Is we are time. So it's going to take as long as it's going to take. If um, attention kept being given towards that area, which was so traumatized, it needed space before the surgery because of the inflammation. It would have needed space after the surgery because of the inflammation. And if you're in single digits, your juvenile central nervous system will, uh, it's in a state of survival, it will maintain that shape. Turned away space, uh, a drop tip. Every 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 rotation, three dimensional movement to provide that area with the space it was asking for, and to invite movement back in isn't just uh, you can't just tell your central nervous system no you can go there now it's all fine because it's got layers and layers of memory and scar tissue. There's a lovely book called the the body keeps the score. Yeah, brilliant. So
1: I'm hoping to speak to Bessel soon on the podcast with it, a bit of luck. It
0: is. Um, I worked with a mountain biker who um, his injury list was astronomical, but his body didn't make any sense. The, the shapes he was making didn't make any any sense. And and I said, you you've forgotten something. And he said, well, I'm a mountain biker. I've had tons of crashes, but those are all the big ones. And I said, no, you're missing something. Something doesn't make sense. And I turned my back to him to make the shape of the stick man I'd written on the board in the clinic. And, and the room went silent for the first time in 90 minutes because he was a lovely chatterbox. And I turned around and he was crying. And so I gave him a moment and I said, "Okay, what did you just remember? And he just remembered that he'd spent a year in a spine cast on crutches between the age of three and four. And he was still making that shape. So, The body really does keep the score. Mm. We see it time and time again that people are maintaining the shape that preceded even the surgery, which contributes to why maybe somebody has a a hip replacement and then has to have another hip replacement, replacing the replacement, because they're still moving in the way that created the need for the hip replacement in the first place. The new hip doesn't make them still shy away from the opposite ankle um, sprain that they never went back to. To, but but didn't realize. so your your deep, deep wound uh, in your belly, that the if if this is the sensory headquarters, your gut is the the headquarters for your immune system, uh, for your HPA axis that you talk about, your gut is so important, and somebody's cut a hole in and removed something. Yeah. and but it was a life-saving operation. So is it any wonder that that has a significant influence on the shapes that you make from then on? And unless somebody draws your attention to it so that you can um, drive fluids through it, engage it in movement again, bring it into the party, it's it's going to come along in its own time. And with us, after all that work, it came when it was the right time for it. So the London Marathon was just a date. All of these events that we sign up, they're just arbitrary dates. Times, we're obsessed with numbers. Dates, our life revolves around a date. It's like Christmas Day. Well, people are planning it for months. It's just a day, one day. So the journey isn't for that day. That day had a hiccup in it and it had so much more. You learn so much more about yourself, you now have some kind of internal urge to go further and maybe next time a little bit faster to satisfy yourself because you know you didn't perform to your potential in terms of covering that distance in a certain time. But you perform to your potential as a human being who knows that they can keep going. And whilst they keep going, saying hello to all these yeah. lovely people that were supporting you and, and and egging you on.
1: I mean, I posted about it that evening. Like I did get euphoria later that evening. I yeah. finished. It took me so long to get to the hotel where I was yeah. there. Well, we were planning to come home with Vid and the kids. I just couldn't face getting on a train. So we booked a hotel. Say the night, I, I hobbled all the way over Green Park. Then, how long it took me. Um, and once I'd had a shower and stuff, and you know, I, I thought I better I better put something on Instagram because I've been talking about the marathon all week. People have been wondering what happens. Um, but I felt a real sense of pride at that time, mm. later on in the evening, I, you know, because it's pretty raw and emotional. Um, you know, I don't think I trade it for anything. It was the, as my friend Kirsty, who posted, she said this on my uh, on my you saw the comment, saw didn't it, you? Yeah. Which loads of people like. She said, it's something like you didn't get the race that you wanted, you got the race that you needed. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that so much because that's a metaphor for life, right? Instead of resisting what happens on a daily basis, it's like, no, that's that's just the way it was. That's kind of what we needed at that moment. Um I learned a lot about myself. I've learned that, you know, for all the improvements I feel like I've made in terms of my emotions about, um, about, yeah, I don't care what people think anymore. Yeah, I'm totally okay. You know what? I, I genuinely don't compared to the past, mm. but clearly there's an element of me that still does. Yeah. And that, that's okay because now that's been revealed to me. If I'd gone and smashed it, nails breathing the whole way, as per the plan that we had in four hours, 15 minutes, let's say, um, I'm sure that would have been a great experience as well. Would I have learnt about that? Probably not. So I feel I put a new stress test on my body. And so I feel good about that. I do feel I need to spend a bit more time thinking about it, sort of journaling it maybe a little bit, um, but I'm not put off running at all. I'm just even more determined now. I'm definitely doing the marathon next year. But definitely. Like, you know, and you hear you talk about stories. What have I heard since then from even from in my close circle? Ah, oh, tall people, you know, tall people, uh, they don't really they're not really runners, are they? Or um, you know, you're probably under trained, didn't you? And you know, and the thing is everyone's saying that with love. Yeah. And I understand it, but I don't buy any of it. No. Cause I know I, I've I put my trust in you. We've got this great open relationship and I Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, sharing information with each other, like I sort of open up about my emotions, how I'm feeling. You know, I've probably shared stuff with you that I haven't shared with anyone else, if I'm honest.
0: It is, um, it is so easy uh, in, um, after the event, to point fingers at the obvious, your height. Well, you say that to Usain Bolt, it, there's no logic in it.
1: How, how tall is Usain Bolt? Uh,
0: well, isn't he six foot five? So, is he? so he's he, a tall guy. Oh, he's really, really tall. It is your body has been your height ever since you stopped growing. Your your coordination within your body, your use of your limbs, doesn't preclude you from anything. You know, you could be a very bendy six foot seven. Um, I'm sure you've grown a little bit. Actually, you say. I, I heard you say to who that you were six foot six and a bit. And well, like, I stand
1: up straighter now.
0: Yeah, and I think oh, thanks to you. So yeah, I suspect I, I might have gone into seven.
1: I don't know when giant territory is, but I think I, I think I've hit six seven maybe. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> you you have been complimented on your fluidity of movement when you're on holiday running. Yeah. So you run, you run so beautifully, so quietly. So um, my bike fitting teacher, Dan Enfield, was always uh, talking about who can whisper the loudest. So when you, when you go long in anything, you don't want any single movement to be overriding any other because that's a stress on the body. So it's who can whisper the loudest. And you run so, it's like a breeze, and it is frustrating, and we must acknowledge the fact that uh, it, life didn't go to plan that day. Yeah, and and it's okay to be cross, angry, upset, frustrated, disappointed. That that's human, and that um, Ralph Emerson uh, he he had a lovely turn of phrase, and I sent it to you, didn't I? And a good indignation gives you your power. So it's not that you're, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do better next time. And it's all coming from a, a, a place of um, slight negativity. It is, no, it, I couldn't perform to my potential that day. yeah, Because my my scar decided to let me in for the first time. And we applaud that. We think, oh my goodness, finally. It was a big day for it to happen. But, you know. But, but
1: you know, it, that reminds me of... If- something was going on in my head during the race at various times. Um, Like there was just this, you know, because of this pressure that I have put on myself my entire life, which I really don't feel I do anymore. uh, Maybe I still do just not to the same degree. It's very hard. You know, it's it's kind of hard to be your own mirror all the time. You know, you, you sort of, you kind of feel you've got through some stuff and, I just think it's constant growth. That's great. And then you 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 find another life situation that goes, ah, okay, yeah, well, you're a lot better, but you still got a little bit of work to do, which I actually think, okay, that's great. Um, but but since then, like right, people I really look up to, like Rich Roll. Like I love Rich. I think he's just so great. I think his podcast is great. I think the way he conducts himself, the way he articulates himself is great. And we all know him as an endurance runner, you know, this fit athlete. But Rich has spoken before about I think an event where he DNF'd, he did not finish, right? So, but we kind of ignore those stories and we just see the, the highlights rather than, hey, anyone who's run long distances for a long period of time, anyone who's lived, frankly, whether you run or not, has had bad days and has had good days, right? And and, and John McAvoy, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. And I remember speaking to John before, we were going to talk about the marathon, we didn't get around to it in the end, John was talking about an event where he had to walk, I think, the second half of the marathon. And at the time he said he felt was just so embarrassed, but I'd overtrained; I was just done. All I could do was walk. Whereas we know him as this amazing world uh, record-breaking athlete, but he's had bad races. And he said to me, so I don't learn anything from my good races. You learn everything from the bad races.
0: So all of these adventures we go on and I I like to think of them as adventures because if otherwise it's too serious and um, and this is meant to be fun right otherwise why are we doing it um the smiles on people's faces is is what we really want to see because then that would encourage other people to do it when i see people running around with really glum huffy puffy faces that look as if they're hating every moment. I'm thinking, well, that's not going to get anybody else off the couch and moving. And the party bus, I go back to the party bus, uh, and I'm thinking, I want to be on the party bus with you and all of these amazing people at the back that are just giving it a go, no matter how, no matter how hard it takes, how how long it takes and how hard it is, they're giving it a go. And the the movement life uh, will bring you these adventures of you don't start a DNS, you don't finish a DNF. I've I've collected all of them. I've got a DQ. I got a disqualification. I was a naughty girl, and it's all part of the journey because it's just life. It's part of life. Movement is life, as Chris Rithetan, my friend, mentor, tutor, um, teaches with Gary. He says we are movement animals and, and it is so right. So if we are going to move as part of our life, just whatever kind of movement we can, just putting one foot in front of the other, however short that distance is, it doesn't matter. You're still doing it. Along that journey, there'll be days where it goes well and days yeah. where it doesn't go well, just the same as life. It's just we are time and it is life.
1: Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's not put me off at all. It just makes me want to now teach that part of my body. Oh, you've got this movement. You've not had it maybe since you were seven years old. It's, you know, I want to continue that process because it ain't about the marathon.
0: No. And <laughs> there are people who do so well at something, they didn't do it again because they know in their heart of hearts that, that they peaked they and they peaked too soon. So for fear of failure, they don't carry on. Yeah. So when you know that you haven't, um, when you know that you're still building your potential, then there's every incentive then to keep going. That's yeah. why they have to re- redo the Guinness Book of Records just about every year because people <sighs> keep building. Well, somebody else has done that. I think I can do. I I can do that too. I think I can do more or faster or better. And and so life goes on. We grow we continue to grow rather yeah. than we've done something we did it so well job done stop you know move on to the next thing it it no thankfully you're not in that space and you want to continue yeah. and and you even mentioned even further than a marathon
1: well yeah i'm like even before this marathon the the london marathon that was i don't know how long ago three weeks two three
0: uh three weeks, three uh, weeks. last weekend yeah cuz
1: we're going to go for my first post-marathon run together shortly which uh, are uh, you
0: saying this we're not live on air obviously it's not quite the same as uh, exactly. Chris Evans show but no
1: no, exactly but um like I I don't really want to stop at a marathon no like I feel I I I really don't feel it was the distance I feel that I have learnt the skill of running I'm continuing to learn the skill of walking of running of moving, moving. more efficiently and given how I felt after twenty twenty one miles, when I felt no after effects the following day, where where I nasal breathed the whole way around, where I wore my barefoot shoes, where I didn't actually train that much. And I think... And you were I,
0: smiling at the end.
1: And I was smiling at the end, right? And In, I th-
0: Internally.
1: I- yeah. I- internally, not just externally. Like, you know, Brian McKenzie talks about this as well. Like, he... I remember a book, Brian's been on the show once and I'd love to get him on again. He talks a lot about breathing and he wrote a lot about running in the past, about um, the skill of running. And he was talk about junk miles and he was trying years ago to teach people, you don't have to just follow rigidly these training plans, which just plod loads and loads of distance and then accumulate junk miles. Why not concentrate on learning the skill? And I feel that's what I've done with you. I've spent a lot of time you know, with with this wonky foundation of my body when I came to see you, getting it much more stable and structured, like spending time on the foundations. I didn't have to do that. I could have run with my body the way it was and probably completed the marathon much quicker, more efficiently, but there would have been a ceiling at some point. Yeah. That isn't helping me grow and evolve in the way that I want to. I want to get my body moving as efficiently as possible, get that stable base. And then whatever movement I choose to do on it, walking, running, golfing, swimming, everything's going to be better. Whereas if I just look through the narrow lens of it, just being about the London Marathon, how did that go? I think we run the risk of missing a big part of the the whole picture.
0: And uh, it's systemic. So as soon as you uh, become more aware of how you do move how stacked your body is, how effortlessly it moves. Breathing improves. Digestion improves. Um, It doesn't just stop with the time it takes to do a 5k, a 10k or a marathon. It becomes a healthful life choice. So you then can do more because your body is able through all of its functions, not just the musculoskeletal element of the function of our body, but our internal anatomy. So it's about getting the fluids flowing so that the arteries don't get all clogged up. Uh, uh, that's also partly nutritional, of course. But the point being, with movement, with better movement on the outside, you're getting better movement on the inside. So this is health. This is how we stay alive for yeah. longer and feel better and live more. Right?
1: I-, I breathe better since we started working together. I can meditate better. The word "better," I think, probably not not the best word to use. I I feel that. Let's put it, look at it another way. I feel that my work with you, which essentially has been about making me a more efficient human being in all aspects, it isn't just movement, actually, and probably we can't get to that today. Um, but emotionally I've evolved significantly as I move better. My breathing has become more efficient. I feel my meditation has become my, my meditation practice has, bec- has deepened. So it ain't just one thing, you know, as you say, movement is life.
0: And, and it's balance. So for movement to be fluid and uh, elegant, um, flowing, we have to have balance in the body, which creates balance in the system. So then people can think more clearly because thought is another movement. And throughout... Yeah that the whole element of noticing is you, you, um, there's an action and there's a thought behind the action and what does that feel like? And you connect it all together. So the movement, uh, the, which is the action, the thought around it, the feeling and the connection. So your daughter did it just like that yesterday. Your son did it just like that. He didn't want to go back to his right arm. As soon as I I showed him that his right arm was causing chaos in his other limbs and there was a way for him to think about that not happening, he didn't want to go back to how he was because it felt more difficult and it felt smoother when that didn't happen. So he, he had an action he had a thought about it. It had a feeling inside his body. He connected it all together, and now he's noticing. And he can't not know that now.
1: Yeah, you can't not know what you know once you've felt it. Once you've connected the dots, you you, you can ignore it, but you probably won't. Um,
0: and it and it all it everything connects to everything. So going back to um, a com, uh, a thread of conversation from earlier with the medical establishment, who are amazing. When we look at um, the musculoskeletal system, uh, I have a consultant friend who recommends people to me in certain circumstances. This guy is amazing. He puts, um, he makes bionic kids who have cancer of the bones. He cuts the cancer out and gives them titanium sacrums. Wow. Um, he is amazing. And in that amazingness, he couldn't figure out how to solve his um, Achilles problem and his calf problem. And, and of course, it was nothing to do with his Achilles and his calf. Uh, it was to do with, uh, from memory, I think it was his hip connected to the opposite shoulder. So we organised that and he just thought that was incredible. And I said, well, why? What y- you are, you make kids bionic. How can that be incredible? And of course, uh, the medical estash- establishment is rewarded through specialisation. Yeah. And it's very difficult to specialise with the body because everything is connected to everything. Yeah. And we're still learning how.
1: Uh, well, you know, it's you've got this incredible machine. There's only three in the world, right? But there's
0: four now. Are four now? Yes, one in Belgium. Yes. It
1: says four. So Nike have one, I think. You said one yes. in Germany. You've got one. Yes. And now this this new one. Yes. It's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Um, Doris. Doris, your friend Doris. Uh, and, you know, very simplistically, what does it tell us? Is, is it, I mean, I love looking at the, the shots afterwards, but what, what, what is it showing us?
0: So with no more uh, radiation than a light bulb and more accurately than an X-ray, Doris can measure the movement in three dimensions of the vertebra in the spine, uh, the pelvis, the limbs, the angles of the limbs and the pressures through the feet uh, as you move, both statically and as you move up to, because she has limitations, even Doris, up to 30 kilometres an hour.
1: Yeah. And you know what's been so great is that you said the whole body's connected. I have seen with you on that machine change my wrist position when I walk the fluidity in my movement you can see the speed going up you can see the uh, the pressures in your feet change go back and put your wrists the other way think oh wow oh actually i think i know how i'm going to have my wrist now when I, when i walk exactly because i just seen the difference and felt the difference um i think you know helen if you're interested we could probably do another podcast maybe we should take questions from people like could people <laughs> like this actually get them to send them in or actually Because I I feel there's very few people like you um and I feel your wisdom is so needed um before we start wrapping it up today um you mentioned the number one issue for most people not most people for many people is you know getting your head stacked over your shoulder over your ribcage, over your pelvis and your book and videos can obviously help people do that better I always remember this uh I was asking you about people carrying phones, right? So this is common now. You see people running or walking with phones. Now Sometimes they're holding it in their hand whilst they're walking and running. Yeah. What advice have you got for people? Because you've seen in real time on Doris what happens when people actually do that, haven't you?
0: Yes, anything asymmetrical, anything on one side of the body. So one stick, one phone, one water bottle it will affect your movement patterns because everything is connected so have two phones or two bottles or two sticks or better still put them in a pocket use a bum bag the the carrying of the phone dramatically changes the whole way you run jainam discovered this yesterday his right arm was doing something and it was different and causing chaos in the rest of the limbs. As soon as it wasn't doing it, there was no chaos. End of chaos.
1: He wasn't carrying a phone, was he? He wasn't carrying a phone. Oh, good no. to know. Good he to know. Yeah, no, no okay. phones.
0: So there are so, many, there, there are so many gadgets out there to help us. We want to carry the phone because we want to be accessible. It's a safety measure. Uh, There are all these little apps that tell us how fast we're going and how far we've gone. These are all really useful things, but we don't need to carry it.
1: So so with me... You advise you got these shorts for me. You yes. told me to get these sort of fusion shorts. Brilliant shorts. It's all so I they're wear. sort of quite tight on the thighs, yeah. and then the phone goes. If I want to take a phone out with me, which you don't always, it goes in the pocket. So it's yeah. very tight to your thigh. Yeah. So that is one-sided. It's not two-sided, but you've measured, haven't you? That has uh, minimal effects. So the reason I just want to labour this point a little bit is because I know people are going to be listening. They go, okay, what should I do then with my phone? we're saying that carrying it in, holding it in your hand on one side is probably the worst thing you can
0: do yes it, it's at the end of the extremity so if we think about levers that weight there is going to have more effect than if it was here but i've measured when you say here uh, on sorry on my on upper arm so some people will attach it to their upper arm um so that's
1: better attaching it to your upper arm is better, better than, than having the in hand. your hands
0: but still, the upper arm isn't as good as the upper thigh uh, because lots of manufacturers make these trousers, leggings now with yeah. pockets for phones. The upper arm, because it's the upper arm, is swinging, yeah. and the it's not as dense tissue as your leg. Your thighs are enormous; they're they're heavy. And they're close to the core. The upper arm is also close to core, but we have this attachment to the ground, so there is less influence of uh, a phone on an upper thigh than there is a phone on an upper arm. The holding it is effectively like, well, run with um, the the weight, the extra weight of the phone on your shoe. So run with a clod of mud on the bottom of one shoe just, ju- you just extrapolate it and, and equate it to something else on another limb. So it's just the same. It's, it's an extremity. You've got a great big clod of earth on your shoe that weighs, weighs um, the, 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 the weight of a phone and it will. You Everybody, you can imagine how it's going to affect. You put a little weight on your um, ankle, it's going to affect on that side. So this asymmetry at extremities is uh, is problematic. So,
1: so why don't we such so challenge people then who, who are listening or watching, if you do carry your phone uh, when you go for a run or walk, uh, first of all, try now and again to go without your phone, just to see what it feels like, I would say. But if you're going to take it with you for music, podcasts, safety, safety um, why don't we ask people to experiment? Like experiment with it on your upper thigh, you know, tight. You don't want it loose and baggy. You want it tight against your so it upper doesn't thigh. Move. Yeah. Um, and I think it'd be great on the theme of noticing, asking people to see if they can pay attention. How does it feel when you go for a walk? Let's say it doesn't have to be a run, go for a walk or a run when you put your phone in a different place. Cause that starts the awareness piece, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. So and what happens to the hand that was holding the phone? Because people start to move when the phone isn't there with their hand away from their body. Wow. It, it, it imprints. There's a motor program. So th- the whole time you're doing that, a motor... Uh, response is traveling from the hand up to the brain, back down to the hand again. Okay, you've got to hold your arm over here. So I have seen runners, they run uh, with one elbow cocked out and it's the elbow with the watch on the wrist because they look at the wrist watch so often that they end up running with their elbow cocked out. So it's not just noticing the change when the weight isn't there. And the influence in your body, it's noticing what did that do? What did that imprint in your body? What do you now notice that arm does or doesn't? And invariably it stays still because it's learned to stay still.
1: Yes, yeah, so we're repeating and replicating inefficient movements. Yes. This is not just how it looks. Oh, I look like that when I run with my elbow going out. And actually, you know, this is affecting our function, our form, our movement. And we don't realise it. And I think that's a great example. It's not just phones, it's watches. They're, you know, I do want to talk about technology, but I think we'll do that on the next conversation if you're up for another one at some point in the
0: future. I'd, I'd love to. Could I just say about the, Feel the, free. the phone again? So if you're holding the phone, does that shoulder elevate? We're back to the very beginning of the conversation. If that shoulder elevates, you are leaning down on one side of your body. So that means that one side of your body doesn't have shock absorption and one side of your body is being overloaded when you're pushing off on your trail leg. Yeah. It, it, it is such a big influencer. It is so easy to get yourself out of that little pickle. You don't need to see me. Just find somewhere else to put that weight, the water bottle and or the, the phone.
1: Yeah, I think this is really good practical advice for people at the end of the conversation, because everyone can try that. I mean, you, if we, we're going to go for a run shortly, yeah. and we will see no doubt people walking and running with their phone in their hands or with their elbow jutting out, constantly looking at a watch. And this is a really great way to show people, hey, look, you might well be doing this, but there's something you can do. But Don't just take your word for it or my word for it. Feel the difference for yourself. That's kind of where the empowerment comes, doesn't it? Yes.
0: And you'll start noticing other people. So as soon as you start to... to become aware of what's happening in your body and on on the outside of your body you will start to notice it in others now people come back to me they say oh you wouldn't believe what I just saw it's not about being judgmental <laughs> it's about being curious about why are they moving like that why yeah. do they need to run like a little teapot their pelvis has disappeared over one side the body has bowed to counterbalance why
1: we're gonna we're gonna start seeing teapots everywhere now yeah, when we, yeah. when we go out.
0: there's always a reason why and but it's all unravelable that's the point yeah, that's the
1: empowering thing
0: yes the things can change otherwise there's nothing to talk about god i love that quote
1: yeah there's just so much more i want to talk about helen but i think i think we've covered a lot today and um I really think the work you're doing is incredible. And I know you've got plans to train running coaches in the future as well, with all the learnings you've had from Doris and the machine. You're, you know, what is it? You've got the t-shirt on, haven't you? The PFM way.
0: Yeah, the PFM way to efficient running. Not my way. PFM, perpetual forward motion, because that's what we do. We just put one foot in front of the other and there's no reason to stop. Yeah. Every reason to start.
1: Well, Helen, I want to, as I already have... Um, I want to publicly acknowledge what a positive influence you've been on my life for the past year and a half. In fact, I'd go as far as to say the best thing about me signing at Sea the Marathon was meeting you. It's been just wonderful to get to know you, to learn from you. Uh, I'm delighted my family get to now, um, you know, experience and, and gain from, from everything that you know. Um, the podcast is called Feel Better Live More. When we feel better we get more out of our lives. When we move better, when we move more efficiently, we get more out of our lives. For people listening, have you got any parting words for them?
0: Walk before you run. It diverts the blood from the non-vital organs, the glands producing the hormones and the intestines to the working muscles. The boffins tell us it's probably the most effective way to limit injury risk. So, so many people shut the door and just start running. The blood you need in the working muscles isn't there yet. If we had enough blood to be around our entire body for any given job at any given time, we'd be a balloon. It's not there yet. Know it. The experts have done lots of experiments. I don't know how they do it. It takes between seven and 15 minutes to divert the blood. Seven is the minimum. So you can help yourself most easily by just walking briskly to divert the blood. Walk briskly enough that the central nervous system thinks, oh, something exciting is about to happen. I need to get some blood to those working muscles. I, rule of thumb, 10 minutes and then run and you'll probably find you enjoy it more and you'll have a smile on your face and then you'll be able to notice stuff because you'll be in a happy place
1: that's coming on the show helen i have so enjoyed talking to you there's so much left unsaid and hopefully we can sort out a second conversation in the near future
0: i'd love to thank you for having me Rungan.
1: really hope you enjoyed that conversation do think about one thing that you can take away and start applying into your own life But also please do consider sharing this episode as so many people have had to limit how much they can move because of pain or injury. And if you want to learn more about Helen and check out her book and her online courses and videos, all you have to do is go to her website, helen-hall.co.uk. Now before you go, just wanted to let you know about Friday 5. It's my free weekly email containing Five simple ideas to improve your health and happiness. In that email, I share exclusive insights that I do not share anywhere else, including health advice, how to manage your time better, interesting articles or videos that I've been consuming, and quotes that have caused me to stop and reflect. And I have to say, in a world of endless emails, it really is delightful that many of you tell me it is one of the only weekly emails that you actively look forward to receiving. So if that sounds like something you would like to receive each and every Friday, you can sign up for free at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday Five. Now, if you are new to my podcast, you may be interested to know that I have written five books that have been bestsellers all over the world, covering all kinds of different topics, happiness, food, stress, sleep, behavior change and movement weight loss and so much more so please do take a moment to check them out they are all available as paperbacks ebooks and as audiobooks which i am narrating if you enjoyed today's episode it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family or leave a review on apple podcasts thank you so much for listening have a wonderful week and please note that if you want to listen to this show without any adverts at all that option is now available for a small monthly fee on Apple and on Android. All you have to do is click the link in the episode notes in your podcast app. And always remember, you are the architect of your own health. Making lifestyle changes is always worth it. Because when you feel better, you live more.